2: Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be the Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. I'm Arjun Clare, and today's show is about Halloween. First off, Be The Star UR has recently begun our 22nd year of service. We want to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported Be The Star UR over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate bringing a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit www.bethestaryouare.org. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs during the pandemic as part of our disaster relief outreach program. Be The Star You Are showcases authors, artists, actors, musicians, and other creatives who have had their performances canceled by COVID-19. Make sure you are tuned in to Wednesdays with Writers and Performers and Super Smart Sundays, both broadcasting right here on the Voice of America Network's Empowerment Channel. We have a fantastic show planned for you today. In segment two, you'll meet Dave Tamanini, a former civil rights investigator and attorney, and now an author. In segment three, we hear another segment of Spark the Interest from our newest reporter, Nahal Gill. Right now, we are so pleased to welcome Maggie Campioni with her segment, The American Connection. Welcome, Maggie.
3: Hi! So, Halloween is an amazing holiday. The fall weather, the costumes, most importantly, the candy. What's not to love? But this year, like everything, things will be a little bit different. Due to COVID, spooky season will certainly be modified, but there are still ways to enjoy this beloved holiday, and did I mention the candy, and stay connected in a safe way. I've heard about some super creative ways people are distributing candy this year. For example, some people in my neighborhood will be doing things such as making PVC pipe candy shoots. So cool! One neighbor even suggested a candy slingshot to launch candy at some of the older trick-or-treaters. I will definitely stop by her house. Some other fun Halloween ideas that I found are making individual grab and grab and go bags or even putting candy on sticks and pushing them in the front yard like a candy graveyard. Despite the circumstances, a lot of people are realizing how they can stay connected to this holiday in a safe, socially distant way. As I mentioned twice, My favorite part of Halloween is definitely the candy. I was curious, though, about how the tradition started to give out candy on Halloween. In doing some research, I found out that trick-or-treating actually became popular in the 1930s and 40s. However, back then, kids did not enjoy all the candy varieties we have today. Instead, they were given anything from fruit and nuts to homemade cookies and small toys. Those cookies sound delicious. In the 1950s, candy companies decided to get in on the fun and began promoting their products for Halloween. By the 1970s, parents decided that the only acceptable candy for their kids to enjoy after trick-or-treating was store-bought. Seal kind, and of course, that's what we continue to have today. Every person has a favorite and the least favorite candy. I have found lists and lists of the best and worst Halloween candies, of course, this is all completely opinion-based, but it was fun to check out. It seems like the Hershey bar tends to find itself th- on the best candy list more often than not. I guess that if the chocolate bar has been around since the 1900s, like the Hershey bar has, it must be pretty good. Additionally, m and seem to be a favorite, too. I didn't realize that the candy maker, Frank Morris, created M&M's in 1941. During World War II, Mars was concerned about the, a, sto- a shortage of cocoa. He decided to collaborate with the son of Hershey, with the son of a Hershey executive, Bruce Murray, to ensure that they would have enough cocoa to continue making their products. The name M&M comes from the partnership between Mars and Murray. One candy that consistently falls on both the best and the worst list is candy corn. Personally, I love candy corn. It seems that everyone has a different reaction to this small colored cone of sugar. Turns out candy corn has been around since the 1800s. So, love it or hate it, I don't think it will be going anywhere anytime soon. One final piece of Halloween is always my favorite, is our official candy swab. Of course, my dad will take his annual candy tax and pick out a few of his favorites from our bags. After that, it's game on. After a long night of trick-or-treating, it's so awesome to sit down with all my friends and siblings and trade candy with each other. There are lots of deals made. No one wants to end up with a random random piece of gum or the dreaded, unmarked, orange-wrapped candies. There's always a big competition for the Kit Kats and Snickers. And if there are small boxes of Junior Mints, my mom is quick to collect them all. And no one trades a coveted, full-sized candy bar, no matter what kind it is. While Halloween and all its traditions may feel different this year, there's still ways for us to enjoy this holiday. We may have masks on and collect candy in a socially distant way. However, the thrill of wondering how many treats we have in our bags and the excitement of realizing we've collected our favorite fun-sized candy will never change. I hope you guys enjoyed my segment and I hope that you guys have an awesome Halloween.
2: Wow, that was a great segment, Maggie. And I personally love Halloween. I have always found it that it's a way for me to kind of connect with my friends and family by dressing up. And, of course, the candy. And you definitely talked a lot about the candy. So I was just wondering, what is your favorite Halloween candy?
3: Well, it always changes. Like, one Halloween, it was Snickers. Then I ate too many, and I got sick of Snickers. The next one, it was Jolly Ranchers. Then I ate too many, and I got sick of Jolly Ranchers. I don't really know what it's going to be this Halloween. I think Kit Kats are up there. Those are really good. But I asked my siblings what their favorites were, too. My oldest brother says that his was Hershey's. My younger brother loves Jolly Ranchers and Cookies and Cream Hershey's. Finally, my four-year-old sister's favorite was Skittles. Nicknamed Skitties. I do not know what's going on in her brain half the time.
2: That's awesome. I I think I might have to agree with your your sister. I do love skittles. They're they're pretty good. Um so you also talked about kind of what Halloween means to you. Do you do you have a favorite Halloween memory over over the years?
3: Uh yeah, probably. Also, skittles definitely not my favorite. It's not up to for de- it's not up to debate for me. I just don't like them. But my favorite Halloween memory was probably last year when her family had, like, a huge Halloween party, and it was so much fun. I went trick-or-treating with some of my closest friends, and I remember running around to my neighborhood and shouting my friend's name because we, like, absolutely couldn't find her. And for one moment, I was seriously considering that she was taken by a monster.
2: That's a pretty awesome Halloween memory. For me, it's always been going to one of my friends' house and watching a horror movie. And I personally don't like horror movies, but my friends always force me to watch them. So they've grown on me a little bit. But another big part of Halloween is always wearing costumes. What's the best costume that you've ever worn?
3: Well, when I was younger, I dressed up from um, as Persephone, the Greek goddess of, like, springtime and flowers and all that stuff. For Halloween, I had this beautiful cloth costume with like this flower crown and I absolutely loved it. I also dressed up as a character I also loved how I dressed up as a character that I really liked and actually wanted to learn more about. I also really liked my costume from last year I dressed up in like full tie-dye I still have the like tie-dye sweatpants that I wore and I had these like really cool space buns in my hair and I put like glitter all on my cheeks and it was just really fun.
2: That's awesome. One thing that I try and do is me and my friends will try and coordinate our costumes. So we all make up like a show or something like that. It's, it's pretty fun. Unfortunately, we are out of time. So listeners, please show your love for more segments by donating to the Be The Star You Are 501c3 literacy charity that brings you this program at org, And keep listening for more as we interview our guest in the next segment.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
2: Thank you for staying with us here at Express Yourself on the Voice of America Empowerment channel. I'm Arjun Clare, and we are here today with Dave Tamanini. Dave lives in, lives in Pennsylvania, and his life experiences, combined with the desire to entertain, shape his writing. As a formal civil rights investigator and an attorney for 30 years, he learned a lot about human strength, frailty, and hypocrisy. Social issues and the ways we deal with them fascinate Dave. In his book, *Tituba: the Intentional Witch of Salem, he weaves a historical slash fantasy novel with real-life characters to focus on our common human nature, the abuse of power, and injustice from the lens of a nearly forgotten figure, Tituba, the first woman accused of witchcraft in 1692. The book is a, pro- is a provocative retelling of motivations during the 1692 witch hunt madness with an added touch of magic. We're so excited to have you on the show today, Dave. Welcome to Express Yourself.
4: Thank you, Arjun. I'm really happy to be on uh, Express Yourself Teen Radio with you.
2: Thank you. We're so excited to have you. So I I was just, I want to kind of get to know you more. So I was just wondering mm-hmm. if you could tell me a little bit about kind of who you are, where you're from, and maybe a little bit about your
4: background. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, um, I was born in Pennsylvania, and most of my life I've lived here. Um, I grew up in a military family, so I moved around a lot, as uh, some of your listeners uh, may have done themselves. It gave me a broad understanding of lots of different places and people, and uh, I think that's important when you, you uh, decide to write fiction. So I've Practiced law uh, here, and at the end of oh, it was over thirty years. I I just had it. I had to get back to writing. It's it's what I always wanted to do, and things just developed so that I could plow into it. And here I am.
2: That's awesome. Was there a uh, was there like a specific reason that you wanted to start writing?
4: Yeah, I started back in high school, actually, you know, writing for the yearbook and then in college for the college newspaper, I, I thought I had something to say, and I, I couldn't figure out in any other way to get people to listen to me, except if it was like that. And um, it was just, I, I come from a storytelling family, you know, my grandmother uh, was born in Germany, and she used to gather us around, she'd sit on the couch, and she'd tell us grim fairy tales. Kind of stories and try to terrorize us, which we all wanted her to do and uh it just it 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 I don't know if it if it's in in me from that, but um uh, I've always liked to tell stories and so it kind of went together
2: awesome so you you talked about kind of how you wanted to start writing what what kind of made you finally actually do it kind of just jumped head on into it.
4: Oh, geez. You know, Arvin, I'm not sure. Um, it's... I guess I could make up some some really good-sounding reasons, but I'm not sure they'd be all truthful. <laughs> the, the actual, I guess, what it comes down to is I just wanted to do something well, and I wanted to learn a craft that uh, would give people pleasure when they came across it. And uh, this, this opportunity to write again, I, you know, people aren't always so lucky a, as I am that I was able to change careers. Um, and um, I guess that's it. I just wanted to do something uh, that I could produce something tangible that was the absolute best I could do. And writing was the vehicle.
2: That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So with your first book that you wrote, why did you want to write about specifically the Salem Witch Trials? Mm
4: -hmm. That's kind of an interesting story. I, as I said, I I practiced law and every year lawyers uh, in my county had to, in Pennsylvania in general, had to take so many continuing legal education credits to keep up our skills and one we'd meet down at the bar association and somebody would give a seminar. And <clears throat> one time uh, they brought in a librarian from the law school nearby who had done a lot of research on which trials. And it was kind of like a change of pace, you know, to look back because normally in seminars, we just study the law and try to b- build up our skill in the law that's being used today, the modern law. Well, he gave a seminar about the actually hundreds of thousands of people that were falsely uh, accused and, in Europe, mostly burned at the stake. And then he talked about Salem. And I was already thinking about, hmm, uh, I'm getting close to when I, I'm going to start writing again. And it was just like it clicked. I've always had an interest in... Uh, civil rights issues and issues of race in America, because it's so so pervasive in, in in our lives. And I learned about Tituba. And Tituba is one of those descendants of the Salem witch. Or she's a person that was in the witch trials who has no known descendants. You, there are hundreds of thousands of people in the United States who trace back you know, some distant relative that was in Salem, but not so for Tituba. She disappeared into history. And to me, it was an opportunity to tell a story about a forgotten figure and where history didn't record what she did as a fiction writer. It was right in my wheelhouse because I could make stuff up and I could turn her into a real, breathing, living human being. And as a woman of color to demonstrate to all of The folks that read my books the common humanity that we all share and you know in this world where a lot of people judge you by your skin color and i thought it was a a great opportunity to say something important as well as just to write a darn good story
2: right wow so i guess another question i have about that is was that the first person that you really met that actually talked about the salem witch trials because in my life i i've heard about it but only really in passing.
4: Mhm. Yeah, i i mean uh it it opened up a whole different area for me once i started getting into it and reading about the early uh colonial life in Massachusetts. It was the first time i ever made a trip there and i visited Salem and i the the village where all this started in 1692 uh, was called Salem Village, and it was what happened there was so shameful to the people there that over time they wanted to forget it. And they actually changed the name of the town from Salem Village. And today it's modern Danvers, Massachusetts, and it's the town that's right next to the actual city of Salem where everyone was brought for trial and ultimately 19 people were hung. Um, unjustly
2: Wow So this is our Halloween show and I Mm -hmm. think that your book is kind of a perfect vehicle to get us almost scared so maybe (laughs) we can talk a little bit about the witch trials
1: Sure Um,
2: So why do you think that these young really kids almost caused so much damage and had so many people hung unjustly?
4: I think I I got a little different take on it. Uh, h- historically, people have tried to figure it out: were these bad kids? Were they manip? Were they uh, under the influence of? Uh, there was a theory once that there was a fungus growing in the rye grain that they they made bread out of that could have get, uh, been hallucinogenic. Uh, there were questions about whether the religion that really had them wor- had everybody worried. That the devil was just over your shoulder, no matter where you were and what you were doing, the devil w- mingled among the people, waiting to grab people and use them. The devil couldn't hurt people physically; use people to hurt other people and to to get them to sign his book uh, and and make a promise to serve Satan. And the people believed this was a constant threat, so. My theory, as I developed it, was I think the kids were manipulated they were mostly manipulated uh and and preyed upon using their fear of damnation and uh you uh, once they were frightened enough that there was a witch or there were witches around um, they basically fell into a pattern of almost like mass mass hysteria. You know, kids can be manipulated. And these, these kids ranged from 11 years old uh, to 18. And, of course, the older you get, the more you're resistant to manipulation. But this is something that was pervasive in the kids and the adults. People believed there was a constant war. And they also, these these folks were... Puritans, uh, they were devout followers of Calvinism, and Calvinism taught that you were predestined to go to heaven or hell, and you'd never really knew which it was. That puts a load on people, and especially kids, I think, of uncertainty, and they're already in a world of uncertainty. They have to depend totally on the adults. So what happened was once this witchcraft got started, Um, people were arrested on what was called spectral evidence. If somebody thought they saw a ghost of Sarah Good or Martha Corey, that was allowed to be entered into evidence that Sarah Good or Martha Corey was a witch. Can you imagine that? Because they thought they saw her ghost something to them wow. this was allowed in Cork and it sent people to the gallows and some of the folks one of the classic cases is Rebecca Nurse she was a devout woman thought of by everyone as a good person a loving person a grandmother of many many grandkids and she was accused and because of the environment of fear and worry of what would happen to you if you weren't a good person. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Narse could never explain why people thought she was a witch, but she said, well, maybe I committed some sin. And she took that to the gallows, and she climbed the ladder willingly when they put the noose over her head and pushed her off to swing below the gallows.
2: Wow. Wow, that's pretty crazy.
4: (laughs) To us, it is. But, you know, people get swept up in emotions, and they lose their judgment, especially when the group is fearful. And it's easy for us to judge them. How could they do that? But they were just human beings. Unfortunately, they murdered. Nineteen people were hung, and one man who wouldn't submit to the jurisdiction of the court was given a choice. We'll put you on the ground, we'll put a board on you, and we'll start putting stones on you until you agree to submit to the court's jurisdiction. His name was Giles Corey, and he died. He was pressed to death because he would never do it. Wow. So
2: do you think that something like this could ever happen again as people get hysterical over religion or politics or whatever else?
4: I think so. And uh, fortunately, fortunately, we're not so isolated as we were in 1692. But I don't know how many folks that are listening can remember this, but there was a case uh, maybe 15 years ago or more where someone accused a daycare worker of of being abusive to the small children. And. It flared up, and ultimately the kids somehow were cross-examined. So many times they started believing that it really happened. And it was not just one daycare worker. It was several that were charged with abuse, and the kids were saying things that never happened. <clears throat> Fortunately, in that case, the truth came out. But the entire town, geez, probably the whole country was just transfixed by this and it was kind of a hysteria that was going on. I can't remember where it happened, somewhere back east here
2: Wow and I know that you used to be a, a civil rights investigator and an mm-hmm. attorney mm-hmm. Did, did you ever have anything remotely similar to this happen in your law practice?
4: No no. I, I guess I should be thankful I didn't <laughs> Wow. So I,
2: I did want to go back to something that you mentioned. You mentioned that the people that lived in Salem were Puritans and that they were very religious and that mm-hmm. they were devout to Calvinism. Mm-hmm. But they were so brutal to their slaves and even unkind to one another. How do people kind of grapple with being so religious and devout yet so
4: mm-hmm. mean? The Puritans were tough. They were carving out a colony. They fought back Indians because they basically invaded Indian lands. In Massachusetts, slavery was put into law in the in the 1640s, and it was lifetime slavery for black people. Most folks don't even realize that there were slaves in <laughs> Massachusetts, but there were. And not only... African slaves, but Indian slaves too. What often happened uh, is after uh, a, a fight with, with Indians, any Indians that were captured, I, I say Indians, gosh, I shouldn't, because I'm, I'm captive to my old education system. Native Americans were uh, captured and they were sold into slavery. Often they were shipped down into the Caribbean in exchange for African slaves that were shipped up back up to, to Massachusetts. So Native Americans were enslaved as well as uh, Africans. Uh, this goes back to the way people thought back then. When I said I wanted to show Tituba's humanity, it was because then, even today, unfortunately, there are privileged people who are not convinced that people of color are of equal humanity to them. It's a sad point, but that allowed the inhumanity to exist from early times in the United States, 1619 uh, down in Virginia when the first slaves were brought into uh, North America in England and on the European continent, there was slavery too.
2: right so can you tell us a bit more about the the slave Tituba? how mm-hmm. did you How did you kind of come up with her backstory since Sure there wasn't really much historical reference or evidence about her.
4: No, this is a really neat part that I love to tell. Um, there has been some historical debate whether Tituba was an African a mixed African and a, uh, a Native American. Uh, and I did my research, and her name really was Tituba. And so I contacted somebody in Nigeria and who was a speaker in the Yoruba language. Nigeria is in Western Africa, so that's uh, the Horn of Africa where most of the slaves were taken. From Africa uh, in the trans uh, Middle Passage of the transatlantic slave trade, and I asked, "Can you give me an idea what Tutuba means, if anything?" And he said, "Well, we can roughly translate it to be to appease or the appeaser," and that created my character right on the spot. And I, I, I gave Tutuba. Occult powers that she got from her mother, and you know, in Africa has a rich tradition of of uh, occultism, Vodun, Santeria, um, and, and others, and uh, even Kabbalah. There's some traditions from Kabbalah in. Western Africa. So I used that as an inspiration to give to Tuba powers. Her mother told her to appease the masters to survive, and someday you will come into your powers. Unfortunately, her mother died uh, before she could help Tuba learn how to uh, draw upon the powers that, that she had. And this allowed me also to... Give the backstory to Tutuba. History says Samuel Paris, the minister, owned Tutuba, a Native American named John Indian, and a young, the record says Negro boy of about 12 years of age, name unknown. Well, this was perfect for me. Remember, I said when you don't know about people in history, you can make stuff up. And right. so, this this young child became Tituba's son with John Indian. And as the story went, the the the, uh, the son tried to escape slavery. And when he did, he died. And this was something that, you know, only a mother feels. And Tituba was crushed. And then she needed revenge. And then she came into her powers. And so our story, Tituba, The Intentional Witch of Salem is she actually intended to be a witch using magical powers. And she started people believing they saw these specters hurting other people. This is based on the historical record. People really saw these. They thought they saw these specters. So that was the major conflict of the story. How does Tatuba deal with the loss of her son that she blames the English colonists for, for her going back to her capture from Africa and her mistreatment in Barbados and her traveling to Boston with the master and then Salem until she ultimately realizes she has started something she can't stop. People are falsely accused. People are being hanged. And she realizes she has no power to stop it. And she falls into despair. So the question becomes near the end of the book, can Tatuba find redemption? Can she find a way to cope with a crime that no one knows she committed because she used these occult powers to start the entire witchcraft terror? And for that, you need to buy the book.
2: So how you mentioned her husband and... Her son, who wasn't actually her son, you Mm -hmm. wove real people into your fictional piece. Mm -hmm. So how do readers know the difference between what is real and what is made up?
4: Mm -hmm. Well, first, remember this, Arvin. I wanted to entertain. I wanted to write a good book that was fun to read and that got people thinking, how do you deal with loss? How do you deal with the temptation to revenge? How do you deal with it when you realize you've done something terrible and you're a good person? How do you cope with that the rest of your life? So if someone is satisfied reading the book and enjoying it, I I did my job. If someone is curious about how much of it's real, they're going to do what we all do. They're going to Google it. And then they're going to start getting into it and seeing the actual records. You know, I brought portions of the actual trial transcripts into the book to the Intentional Witch of Salem. So there's things there that tip off the reader, that some things are really real.
2: Right. So with that said, do you have a a next book in mind that you would want to write?
4: <laughs> yeah, I do. I have about 100 ideas. I'm tempted... See, at the end of the story, I will tell you, it's it's not certain what becomes of Tituba. She has a plan. And I'm tempted to write a sequel. It would really be fun. But I have so many other ideas, I'm not sure what. Right now, I'm very busy trying to promote the book because, you know, I got to sell some books. right? And uh, that involves a lot of work. Uh, for advertising for promoting uh you know Tutuba just won an award which I'm immensely proud of wow. Tutuba was found the winner uh of the fiction historical fiction event era genre by the African American Historical and Genealogical Society and that was big for me you know I I I don't I guess it's not totally clear, but I'm a white guy. And I was kind of going out on a plank here, writing about a person of color uh, and a woman that I thought I could express. And most people that read the book say it really came out well. But to get an award from the African, I'm sorry, the Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society was just an affirmation to me that I did it right. And boy, did that feel good.
2: Definitely. I mean, first off, congratulations. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. And Thank I you. definitely think that a, a sequel would be really good, because I mm-hmm. think, at least I really wanted to know what happens to Taituba as well as John Indian mm-hmm. after the book ended.
4: hmm Yeah. Well, you know, anybody that's listening, if they happen to get the book, which I'd be very pleased with, if they bought a uh, a paperback copy and text me or email me uh, either on Facebook or my website, com, uh, and show me an image of the receipt, I'll sign a book plate and endorse it personally, and I'd be happy to mail it to, to anybody. But furthermore... If anybody can go to my website, whether you buy the book or not, I'd really love it if you'd sign up uh, to get updates. Um, It it really, really helps writers when folks communicate with the writer, and I love to have conversations with folks. If they have ideas, I'm happy to hear it. If they have questions, ask me anything.
2: Awesome. It's definitely a great story, and it's very entertaining, and you definitely did your job. Thank Unfortunately, you. we are out of time for this segment, so thank you so much, Dave. I absolutely loved our conversation today.
4: Me listeners, too. Thanks.
2: <laughs> listeners, make sure you check out Dave at his website, www.davetamaniniauthor.com, and make sure to sign up for his emails. Please follow Dave on Facebook at Dave Author. On Instagram at Dave Tamanini and on Twitter at David F Tamanini. Make sure you check out his book *Taituba*, the International Witch of Salem. And sorry, excuse me, the Intentional Witch of Salem on Amazon and at your local bookstores. I'm Arjun Clare. Please show your love for more segments by donating to the Be the Star You Are, 501 C3 Literacy Charity that brings you this program at org. Keep listening for more as we have discussion in the next segment.
4: Thank you, Arjun.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice
2: Welcome back to Express Yourself. This hour is all about Halloween, and we will now hear from reporter Nahal Gill with his segment, Spark the Interest. Welcome to the show, Nahal. Hey, thanks for having me. I hope everybody's
5: doing good. So, ways to make this Halloween memorable. When I think of Halloween maybe different this year, secondary to COVID-19, I'm always reminded of some of my fondest memories. From the time when I was a small child, I've always looked forward to the excitement and scares of Halloween. When I was younger, my mom would try to find or make the most creative costume to follow along with the favorite character or theme that I loved that year. And we'd go trick-or-treating for hours. In the most recent years, I've completely found a sheet over my head or a scary mask, as long as I get to trick-or-treat with my friends. Even though I will miss my usual Halloween traditions, I do understand why we need to be different this year. But however, that doesn't mean we can't
2: have fun and we can creep it real. That's awesome. And... At least for me, it definitely sucks that we can't have a proper Halloween where we walk around neighborhoods and just get some candy. Yeah. You can't but enjoy the joy yeah, trick triple street anymore. With that in mind,
5: what are your plans for Halloween? So my mom, she's a planner, and she doesn't want to disappoint my sister and I. So she came up with a fun evening. First, we'll get together with my younger cousins. We'll have a candy hunt, watch some horror movies. And then I'll have a
2: virtual costume contest with my friends. That's pretty awesome. I didn't even think about that. Even though we can't go in person, I think a virtual contest would be pretty good. Uh, What is your costume that you're going to have this year? This year, I've been recently watching The Office multiple
5: times. So I was trying trying to figure out which character from The Office that I would want to be. Um, I was going with Dwight, maybe if you guys know him or not. He kind of has glasses and is a crazy character. So that was my costume for this year.
2: That's pretty awesome. And I definitely am a huge fan of The Office. So could you maybe elaborate a bit more on that? Like, did you make the costume? Did you go out and buy some stuff for it?
5: Yeah. So with The Office, it's pretty simple to make it. I just need maybe a suit or a tie. So I got some khaki pants, a white shirt, a tie and a blazer. And then I got one of those stickers that say, hi, my name is, and I just put Dwight on it. I already have glasses, so it works. And I just need to put my hair and part it down the middle.
2: That's awesome. That's definitely a great costume. And I think a lot of people are actually going to recognize you. Yeah, thank you. So are you, are you happy with the way Halloween is this year? I wouldn't say that I'm happy,
5: but, you know, public health and safety is really important with the times going on right now. I think more, it's more important than enjoying the evening for myself. I always take in consideration for those around me. You know, it's difficult to maintain social distancing guidelines with going to people's houses, trick-or-treating, knocking on their doors. So we can still have fun, but it won't just be the same trick-or-treating or going to Halloween carnivals and enjoying those. We can still have fun, though,
2: with virtual stuff or hanging out with family. Definitely. I agree. But with the pandemic and cases still rising what ideas do you have to make this halloween more fun yeah so
5: it can we have a lot of stuff we can make it fun like i said you can do virtual stuff with your friends or family if they live far away you can have a costume contest with them you can even put a movie on a horror movie on you guys can eat your favorite snacks candy you guys can share some laughs or some young friends or people that are into stem you guys can make glow in the dark slime which i know my sister loves You can make a pumpkin volcano, you can make Halloween balloon experiments, there's a lot of stuff you can do while
2: staying at home even though it won't be the traditional things that we usually do. Yeah I think those are all great ideas and definitely things that aren't that hard to pull off. But speaking of something that you mentioned, do you have a favorite horror movie that you've seen?
5: Yeah so when I first started watching horror movies it was around maybe two years ago my first night during Halloween. I watched um, Annabelle. I think I forgot which which number movie it was, but it was, it freaked me out in the beginning. But then after I kind of liked it because it wasn't as, like, I started, as I started watching more horror movies, it wasn't as scary. And then I rewatched that movie again. And I actually, so my favorite horror movie would probably be Annabelle, even though I was
2: freaked out the first time. Nice. I've personally never seen it. I don't know what about it has always kind of freaked me out, but I, I started watching horror movies a couple of years ago with my friends. Um, and I started off with the insidious franchise and mm-hmm. we went through all of it. And it, it was actually, it was, it was actually all right. I definitely didn't like it at the beginning, but it kind of grew on me. And so one of my friends is a huge movie buff um, and he's had us watch like psycho and all those different kinds of horror movies so it was, it was pretty awesome
5: yeah yeah insidious is really good too i've watched it
2: yeah um and so kind of speaking of watching it with friends which we've both done why do you think it's important to make plans with others during this halloween season
5: i know it can be hard with all the social distancing guidelines but it's also really important for our mental health finding ways to include our peers and our plans it can deal with the stress you're having, anxiety, sad thoughts. And it's a great way to get support from other than your family and people your age or people who have similar experiences with you. And science even shows that very important interactions releases dopamine, which in turn helps us feel better physically and mentally.
2: Awesome. I Yeah, I definitely think that's very true. And I know I've been ho- uh, stuck at home for the past six or seven months yeah. And I think interactions with my friends have actually really kind of kept me going through this.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's little ones, like a call for 15 minutes, it can really just help
2: you keep on going, too. Definitely. And so, another really big part about Halloween is obviously the candy. So, do you have a favorite candy that you always wish that you would get during Halloween? Um,.
5: Yeah, I have a couple, actually. So I really love Skittles, and usually when I'd get them, my sister would take it or my mom would take it, so I'd end up getting none. Or I love Snickers, and those are probably my favorite, too, this year, and I'll probably have my mom go get those while we watch like horror movies or something so I can just eat those because those are my favorite.
2: Definitely. Those are some good ones. Personally, I do love Skittles, but I also love Kit Kats. I think I've always been partial to those. This has been really good but there's always been certain candies that I I haven't liked. And I think for me, my least favorite one has been candy corn. Do you you have a least favorite?
5: My least favorite, I would probably say candy corn too. I just don't like the taste of it at all. It kind of tastes weird to me.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I know that this year has been pretty crazy with, I mean, even getting candy from the stores, buying yeah. costumes I think we're kind of forced to make our own yeah and yeah. I, I yeah I know um like I looked a couple months ago I was trying to figure out what I would want to be if I was even going to be anything and I tried looking at home to see what I could have and I didn't really have anything so I'm still kind of on the ropes as to what I should be do you have do you have any suggestions
5: yeah um so sometimes it's not that hard like if you have a favorite tv show and obviously if their costume isn't so crazy to make like mine you can like do something like that or Pinterest has some great ideas I was looking at Pinterest for like costumes before I kind of decided on being um, Dwight from The Office and to be honest it can you can really just find anything from the internet that you can say made from home that will help you out or like I think the best thing to do is your favorite movie or tv show and obviously if their costume isn't
2: crazy hard to make yeah definitely and i think recently i just watched the avatar series the tv series and i really enjoyed that so maybe i can be a character from that i'm not sure um so lastly what tips can you give to our listeners so i'm
5: a firm believer in finding spark in anything that you do even if the situation changes like we're going through right now or you can come up with creative ideas that are fun and exciting to with your family and friends. And one day, we're going to look back at this time and laugh and say how we spent Halloween during our in our houses during a pandemic. But also, don't forget, take pictures to capture the moment so you can look back
2: on it, too. Definitely. I think that's a great idea. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today's show. Thank you so much for listening to Super Smart Sundays here on Express Yourself. Please support Be The Star You Are and find information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs at bethestarur.org. I'm Arjun Clare, and you have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. As always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment Crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. And thanks to our guests from across the world, And a huge thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top rated program. Make sure to vote for respect and decency. Have a really fun and scary Halloween. Always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself.